Welcome to Design Meets Business, a show where design leaders talk about practical ways to quantify design, about making our work more transparent, and about how designers can make a bigger impact in their organization. I'm your host, Christian Vasile. And before we begin, I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. On the show today, I'm talking to Dean Hudson, one of the senior UX designers at Google in Sydney, Australia. Our conversation revolves around making design more transparent through relationship building and collaboration. We're talking about hiring and how you can set your best foot forward and a little about why not moving into management is a perfectly fine decision and it doesn't necessarily mean that you're not growing. I hope you like this one. Enjoy. Dean, thanks so much for coming on the show. If uh, one doesn't know about you, but simply takes a look at your resume, they will be astonished by the products you've worked on over the past 15 years. So we're talking inside organizations such as Yahoo and BBDO and Atlassian and Microsoft, Instagram, and for the last three, four years at Google. So I know you've got a lot to share with us on that intersection of design and business, but that is a rabbit hole. And before we willingly fall into it, tell us a bit about your story, You know how you got here, and obviously most important, of out of all the teams in the world, why wouldn't Aussie support Tottenham Hotspur? <laughs> uh, hey, Christian, thanks for having me on. It's uh, great to speak with you today. Um, yeah, I've, I've kind of had like a pretty varied uh, career, both in terms of like organization size and, and, and the types of design um, that I've been doing. So um, like a lot of designers, you know, I, I didn't really have like a straight line from where I am now and, and kind of where I started, you know, I kind of left high school and always knew I wanted to do something, you know, creative or, you know, that artistic kind of field. So I didn't really know what I was doing. So I kind of, you know, went to university and um, started a fine arts degree and thought, you know, that might be a kind of good way to, to kind of, I don't know, find something that piqued my interest and, and to get into a career. I never thought I was going to be a, a fine artist. I'm not particularly talented, but I just wanted to do something creative. And started doing uh, photography as as a major, um, and very quickly discovered again like I wasn't going to be a photographer. But um, we started playing around with digital photography, which was like a, a new kind of technology at the time. You know, we're still doing standard darkroom uh, stuff, but we also started playing around with you know really basic you know digital cameras and um, you know tools like Photoshop, and and that really kind of piqued my interest. I was like, this is really cool. You know, I didn't really know design was a career, but I thought. Photoshop is amazing. Like I was playing around, you know, taking photos and then just doing some kind of cool things in, in Photoshop. So I, I quit that uh, course after a year, decided it wasn't for me and, and wanted to kind of um, see where this new interest in, in digital tools could take me and um, started kind of stumbled into graphic design. I was like, oh, okay, cool. Like this is, you know, kind of photography, digital tools and, and kind of wanted to see where that took me. So enrolled in a course in graphic design. Um, and that was like a three year study and really great kind of founding in things like, you know, typography, color theory, uh, layouts, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, again, it was really quite early in the, the kind of early 2000s. So web was, was still a thing Like we had, we did some multimedia type work at, um, the college I was going to, but the focus was more on, on print design. You know, I was, I was going to go to an ad agency and, you know, I wanted to become like a creative director or something like that. Um, and so left uh, school and went to work for a really small graphic design agency where, you know, we're doing things like branding and uh, magazines and uh, book layouts and, and things like that, really traditional graphic design. Uh, but we also started to have clients that wanted to do a bit of, uh, you know, they wanted a website as well as having like a, a, a brochure or something. And um, that was something I was like gravitated towards as well. I was like, oh, there was no one else on the team that was able to do it. And I was like, yeah, I can figure this out. So you know, I started picking up Dreamweaver and, and building really terrible websites in tables. 
um, and a bit of flash. And yeah, really kind of had an interest there uh, and, and started to do more and more of that type of work. And then uh, decided to kind of, as a lot of Australians do, pack up my things and, and move to London for a few years. Um, so I did that and, and just did a little bit of like contracting over there, working for, you know, places like Transport for London and Reuters and again, kind of like a bit of a hybrid mix of like traditional graphics and, and starting to do a little bit more um, digital work. Uh, but I kind of, it was also like the, the, the iPhone um, was really kind of starting to, to get popular around that time as well. And, and I started to get really interested in, you know, the different apps and screen designs that were happening on, on those types of devices. So I was like, yeah, this is kind of where I want my career to go. I want to start doing more work like this. So I kind of took a bit of time and, you know, polished up my kind of, uh, you know, HTML kind of coding skills and kind of rebranded myself as like a web designer and managed to get a job working for a uh, kind of like an online poker company over there. And was doing a lot of, you know, just like small web design projects for them, but then also kind of doing some really um, basic UI work as well, you know, kind of designing the um, the interfaces for some of their uh, poker playing uh, applications. And then moved back to Sydney um, in Australia and again, had rebranded myself as like a web designer, got into bigger agencies working as like a digital designer and building out um, experiences for, for their clients, but, you know, pretty quickly got burned out by the whole pitching and, and just like, you know, sprinting, executing, and then kind of onto the next one, not really a lot of time to be, you know, thoughtful and iterative. So um, started looking around at like what other kind of opportunities were, were out there and really kind of stumbled into UX by accident. I saw like a role posted at um, Yahoo in Sydney asking for like UX designers. And um, I kind of went through the jobs back and I was like, oh yeah, I, I kind of do some of this stuff or like, I, I kind of see like I could do that. And um Moved into a role there, into a, a small startup that they had acquired as their only UX designer. Started working with, um, embedded within like a product team for the first time. Um, you know, I was super naive, didn't really know what like a product manager was. I didn't know like what agile was, all of this kind of stuff. So had to learn a lot of um, things on the fly. Um, but it was a really great environment to, to do that and really just learn um, the, the basics of, of UX. Um, shortly after that, I was approached just out of the blue by a recruiter from, from Microsoft over in Seattle, and they were building out, um, the design team on Bing, the second, uh, most popular search engine in the world. Um, and, um, ended up flying out there to meet the team and kind of took a chance uh, on them and they took a chance on me and, um, you know, moved to Seattle, uh, to, to join the team there. And that was like a really great introduction to how larger organizations do UX and, we did some really interesting work over there on uh, Windows Phone, which is sadly now no longer a thing, but it was um, a really interesting platform to, to design for. Um, got a lot more experience working in mobile. Moved back to Australia, started working at Atlassian, again, like a really big enterprise uh, company. I'm sure you're familiar with a lot of their tools like Jira and Confluence. Um, and that was a really great design education as well. So, you know, really learning about like design systems and building these like really powerful tools for, for a different type of um, um, user. And I was there for a few years and started, you know, leading a design team over there and, and kind of like, you know, working on a, a couple of different products, but um, kind of wanted to get back into the consumer side of things. Um, and I got a email again, kind of semi out of the blue from a recruiter at Facebook. And they were again, going through a really big growth period. And uh, we're looking at building out their design team across a range of different products. So um, again, ended up just saying yes to, to a new opportunity and moved over to the Bay Area and actually started working at Instagram, which is you know, obviously part of the Facebook family. And that was just like an amazing uh, job uh, at, at an amazing time. You know, it was probably at the 
I don't know. There was so many interesting things going on. There was right in the middle of the, the rebrands. It was when stories first came out. Uh, it was just like Instagram. It was just like win after win after win. They just kind of couldn't do any wrong. And it was just such an amazing, talented team there and such a great environment to be a designer. So learned so much amazing stuff there, which I then kind of brought back to, to Australia and started working at Google for the last four years on Google Maps across a couple of different products, first on Google Automotive. So building out the Maps experience in like next generation electric cars and then transitioned over to the user-generated content team where we you know, design experiences for people to uh, contribute back to the map and make sure everything's fresh and up to date. Yeah, sounds like a journey, a long journey. <laughs> yeah. A lot, of, a lot of organizations there, very diverse, very different across different countries, across different cultures as well, uh, where you know people work differently. So I'm wondering, any patterns there that you've noticed over time as to what some common challenges are between all of these companies? What are they all struggling with? Yeah, I don't know if there's like one thing that they all struggle with. I think every company kind of has their own take on the, the you know, the product design um, uh, journey and, and how things work. I think that they all have different users, they all have different products, they all have different goals. So that there are a lot of unique challenges, I guess, at all of them. Um, some of them have more mature design uh, practices where, you know, design is very much uh, at, the, at the forefront of, of everybody in the company. And it's something that, um, you know, even you know, down to every engineer has like a lot of uh, care and dedication to the craft and the details. Um, so yeah, I'm not sure if there's one thing that they all struggle with. I think there's unique challenges at all of them. Um, but I think overall it's, you, uh, I've kind of been able to see design become just more and more relevant and, and integrated to, to the businesses as I've gone along in my career. So what are some of these challenges? What can someone expect if they join one of these large companies to, to work on? Yeah, there's, there's a lot. I think these larger companies, uh, obviously have like large user bases. They have large, uh, products. They have lots of different features. So I think. Maybe one of the challenges is that, right? Just kind of finding your place within that larger product and, and being able to create impact as a designer, right? So I think when you first join, you're not going to be given a really large kind of portfolio or kind of like hero piece to work on, right? You have to start from the bottom and just establish your, your place in the team, build trust, and then kind of work up to some of those larger problems and opportunities. I'll pick up on something you, you said there because... When you join, you said when you join one of these larger companies, you're not necessarily going to be given the cash cow in the first project. You, you you might have to prove yourself first, and you said trust there, and I assume trust plays a really important part of this. You you have to to build trust with your immediate product team, but also with the wider organization, and say, hey, look, the work I'm doing is is of really high quality. Therefore, I can maybe advance a little bit. So, mm -hmm. how do you build that trust? Because there are different ways of doing it. And I, and I would assume every designer has their own style. Some people do, do it truly just to their work. Some people are more relationship building types. Some people are hybrid. Where do you lie and how have you built trust uh, with the teams you've been working on? Yeah, I think um, one of the, I don't know, just the ways I've worked through throughout um, my career is just like always having this really open and, and collaborative approach to, to design. So, you know, not, just kind of going away into like a, um, you know, like a closed office and, and kind of, you know, working on the designs and then just revealing what you think is the, the solution to the problem. I think it's always just been about sharing your work early and often and, and bringing people along with that on the journey uh, with you. 
And also just like not being precious about your own ideas and, and where the best solutions can come from. Inviting other people into um, the decision-making process, collaborating with them early, sketching ideas up, um, taking other people's ideas and building on them or uh, visualizing other ideas that people have as well, right? So I think a lot of times the best ideas come from, you know, other places like outside of design, right? There's people that are like closer to the problem or they can kind of see it from a, a more unique angle. But one of our superpowers as designers is being able to like visualize those ideas and turn them into something tangible. So, you know, there'll be times where I'll be having like a conversation with an engineer and, you know, they kind of tell me about, oh, like, you know, I had this idea for this or that. And I can kind of take that away mock it up, make it look like something real, and then kind of show it back to them and we can share it back with the team. Um, and, you know, being really generous with attribution and, and, you know, who's contributed, not just kind of like, you know, this is something that I've done. It's, it's, it's like a team thing. Um, and I think that really goes a long way to, to building trust. Yeah, for sure. And, and look, what you're saying has been talked about for a long time try to involve the, the rest of the product team. We've also had someone on the podcast uh, a couple of episodes ago talking about how she involved the entire product team into testing. She brought them mm -hmm. to testing, kind of like kicking and screaming in the beginning until they understood just how valuable it can be. And then as soon mm -hmm. as that happened, the whole product team became more of an advocate for design as well because they saw how important it is. So just mm -hmm. uh, you know, design, they say, is a team sport. And I, I find that... People who come in with this idea of I'm going to come in and change everything because I'm really skilled and I know what I'm doing are very unlikely to be successful in, mm -hmm. in, in most organizations because it's just not going to work. You, you've got to build what you've got to build with the people around you. So I find collaboration to be very important. I also know that there are a lot of designers for whom it doesn't necessarily come very natural, right? Because we are problem solvers. We, we, we're the problem comes to us, someone says, hey, we need to redesign this because something's not working. Then our first instinct is to go into a corner and just work on the problem. But yeah. how, how do you get out of that mentality? Maybe take a step back first and, and involve other people, practical ways of how you've done that. Anything you can share with us there? Yeah, no, I think it's a, it's a great point. You know, I think it's it can be scary to design out of the open like that, right? It's, you've got to be quite vulnerable about your process and about ideas that maybe aren't fully baked or aren't good ideas, right? Especially early on, there's, there's so many things that you don't know and it's just like you kind of have to play around and, and see what sticks. So I think, I mean, that's something that just comes in time a little bit as well as you get a little bit more uh, experience maybe and, and um, you, you, you know that, you, you know, like you're not expected to kind of knock it out of the park on the first go, right? It's like, that's not really what the job is about. It's, it's an iterative process. So, you know, just being aware of that and, and being able to open um, your work up and invite other people into to look and to collaborate. I think that's something that comes over time. I think also as well, like just that we we're talking before about building trust and, and how you can kind of get to that kind of relationship with engineers. It's, it's not always just about bringing the product team into the design activity. So, you know, like getting people involved in sprints and all of that kind of stuff. It's also about how can you fold yourself into some of the rituals and processes that maybe happen on, on the other side as well. So, I remember like earlier in my career as well, there was our engineering team would have this uh, ritual of like Friday demos where they would we'd go around and we'd look at every, you know, engineer's desk and kind of see what they'd been working on that week. And, you know, they'd get like a little, uh, you know, golf clap. Everyone would be like, okay, that's great. It was, it was purely just like a, an engineering activity. Um, but myself and one of the other designers on the team were like, hey, like we should start taking part in this as well. So, you know, we started doing design demos on a Friday as well. So as, as we kind of like go through the engineers, we'd be like, oh, cool. Like, like here's some, design work that we've been doing here's some some new icons that we kind of want to add to the set uh, or you know here's like some new ideas for a flow we've been working on and so just being able to kind of 
inject design back into these other rituals and processes. Similarly, like with um, things like hackathons as well, they're, they're generally, you know, very much like engineers coming up with ideas and making them a reality in a few days. Like, um, I, I think just kind of getting involved with those things, either jumping on a team with some engineers and, and helping them build out their ideas or just coming up with your own stuff and then trying to find allies and partners that you can kind of drag in as well. It just kind of, you know, starts to, to build up those relationships, uh, shows them what design can add to their process, uh, not just you trying to pull them into your process and make your job easier. Yeah, you said something key there uh, about seeing how you can fit into their process. And I think whenever designers join companies, m most of the time they're more self-focused on you know what's important to them and what they need to get their best job done or yeah, the, the highest quality of output. But it's also the other side of the coin, which is mm -hmm. how can I as a designer help you as an engineer or a PM or a tester or whatever it is, how can I help mm -hmm. you reach your goals and how can I help you become more productive? And I think that having those conversations whenever you join a company, the super open and vulnerable conversations about how do you see my role as a designer fit into the organization is just as important as figuring out who's going to help you around and who are going to be your allies and, and building those mm -hmm. relationships. I find that to be so important in the first two, three, four, six weeks of you joining a new company. Also, depending on how big it is, it might not take six weeks, but so, so let's talk about that. What have you generally been doing whenever you join one of these companies? What have you been mostly spending your time on in the beginning, in the first couple of weeks, let's say? Yeah, I think, you know, at the beginning, it's, it's just, you really kind of have to slow things down a little bit on, on your own part. I think there's there's often like a, a desire to join a company and you, you you feel that you need to, you know, show impact immediately. You you kind of got all these great ideas. You want to impress people. You want to hit the ground running. But it's it's really hard to do that. There's so much knowledge on the team that you you know you haven't been part of. There's problems. There's so many things that you just you're not aware of, right? So you, you kind of come in with these really maybe naive solutions and they won't work for whatever reason. Um, and then that can be quite frustrating and, and maybe just, you know, maybe lead to some erosion of that trust as well. So I think really just kind of coming in and just seeing how the team is working, seeing, like, just trying to understand like what the different problems are, who the users are, like just really paying attention to things like design critiques and, you know, learning from your, your peers and trying to say, okay, well, how are they approaching this? Um, what are the things that are important? Um, you know, how do they communicate their ideas? Uh, really just kind of slowing things down and, and kind of thinking about how you can adapt your own process and, and ways of doing things to, to the way the company works. So I think design, there are kind of fundamentals, I guess, that you can kind of take with you and translate to, to any problem or, or team. But there's also a lot of just unique things that happen on different teams as well. You know, like at Google, there's different tools and processes for, for how we you know share and, and talk about work. Essentially, the content might be might be similar to how we did things at Instagram, but the format and and the style and the way we kind of present things are, are very different. So, just kind of slowing down and just taking note of of how people document, share, critique work, and and trying to um, fit into that system without trying to change things too radically off off the bat. So that's more of a short term solution, right? The first couple of weeks, you know, you you take a step back, you get to know the team, you get to know the processes, you, you learn as much as you can from whoever you can about the product that you're going to work on. When we talk about long term, when we talk about six plus months, 12 plus months, that I find that one of the better ways and, and you will be expected after that time frame, you will be expected to deliver and show some impact. And I argue that there's no better way to show impact than moving the needle whatever the needle means for the specific company you work in. 
So we love to talk about metrics and, and how design can affect the metrics here and, and more so how we can talk about how we affect the metrics, right? Um, and how we can make design more transparent. So when it comes to, to design affecting these metrics, I find that when you work on specific projects that have clear cut metrics, say an e-commerce website or anything that has to do with conversion, maybe you work in the growth team of your company, then obviously, you know, conversion or retention, whatever the metric is, there is a metric linked to the, to the project you're going to work on. So it's much easier to show the impact of that. However, sometimes there is no metric attached per se. Sometimes a feature trickles from the top or a new product features uh, trickles from the top. Someone says, Hey, I think we should do this based on a loose idea that I've got from a friend or whatever. How do you, in that case, get to track the impact of design because an example that i could think of that maybe is relevant to you is you, you've worked on google maps for for evs and you have a really long release cycles so it, it must be harder to track the impact of the work there so in that case how have you gone by doing that yeah it's, it's a good question i think just kind of going back to your original points around like metrics and and like how do we shift the needle i think it's really important on any project is just to really understand what are the goals? What's the objective? What are we actually trying to do here? I think metrics are a great way of, of measuring that and being able to show uh, impact, but it's kind of in service of what? What are we trying to do here? There's, what's the ultimate objective? Um, and I think every design really kind of needs to think about that from the start, right? So whenever you know, we start a project, we get really clear on, you know, okay, well, what's the problem? What's the opportunity here? What's the actual objective? What do we think we can do here? And then what metrics do we think are going to uh, support our theory, right? The typical kind of like design hypothesis, right? If we do this for these users, we expect to see uh, this result. Um, we'll know this is true when we see metrics X, Y, and Z uh, change in, in whatever way. So I think sure on like growth teams and things like that, maybe you're kind of, your, your work is more tailored around like moving specific metrics, but I think um, in a more sustainable way, I think metrics really should just be there in support of the objectives and the goals of the team or the feature. And a lot of the, the companies I've worked at over the last couple of years, they're, they're really mission-based, right? So the, the company itself might have like a, an overarching mission, and then each uh, sub-team uh, will have submissions which are in support of that mission. And then all the objectives and, and the goals that the team are driving towards are all kind of laddering up to the submission that the team has. So there's always a really clear thread around, okay, like, why are we doing this? How is this helping our team get to that submission goal? And how is that submission goal helping the, the company over, overall reach its overarching mission? And so I think that's a really great system for, for making sure that the, the teams are always pulling in the same direction and that we're not just chasing after some of these metrics just to, you know, in, just, just to, to always be kind of going after growth. Uh, because sometimes you will have con conflicting metrics as well, right? I mean, you might see like a growth metric go up, but it's really going to negatively affect uh, another metric that the team cares about. And so in those cases, if you have like an overall goal or objective, you can kind of balance those things up against and you're like, okay, well, which metric is actually helping us get closer to our overall objective, right? And you can start to make decisions and, and trade-offs then. Otherwise, you just get to a point where it's like, oh, we want this metric to go up, but this other metric is important to this other team. And it's like, well, how do you kind of compromise and how do you find out which thing uh, wins in the end? So I found that framework has always been a really great way of keeping the team focused on which metrics are important and, and what they should go after. Regarding your second point, yeah, just around products I've worked on, like on automotive, where the shipping frameworks are, are really large. They can be years long. 
it is tricky. Uh, it's hard to, to measure some of those things because we're not going to release for a couple of years and it's going to take some time to kind of get um, metrics back to understand how it's going to be used. Uh, but again, like having really clear objectives about what is this product trying to do? What are these features trying to do? How does it all kind of fit together into one cohesive experience? Like we want to create this experience for, for drivers. Uh, so all these features together should create a unified experience and solution that we all can get behind. To your point earlier about which metrics are important and if we affect one, we also affect the other one potentially. Some mm-hmm. I've read about, um, and we're using it uptime as well, this whole concept of North Star. Like what mm-hmm. is the truly one metric that, that we care about? So whenever we run tests, sometimes we look at the numbers and we say, well, I'm not really sure this has really moved the needle that much in terms of the metric that we were actually trying to move. However, if it in any way affected the North Star, that is what matters if they, whether it's negative or positive, that is what's going to make the decision. So yeah, you can have multiple metrics that you're trying to affect, but at the end of the day, the kind of decision maker is have you affected the, the North star, the, the, the main metric that we're trying to do. So that's, uh, that's important uh, to have. I think I've also worked in the past in places, as you were mentioning, I was, was kind of smiling because I remembered a few stories about that exactly happening where you affect the metric positively. And then another one, unfortunately, negatively and then there's a debate of should we release this or should we just cancel it and you know Mm -hmm. those debates always they're not they're not very fun um yeah so yeah and i think on on that point as well you know you kind of sometimes get um a case where you know maybe all the metrics are are heading in you know a positive direction but when you look at it holistically maybe the actual experience and the, the the design itself maybe there's some issues that are going on there so it's sometimes I think um, you can't always just look at the metrics, right? You kind of have to look at things a little bit more uh, holistically and just think about the experience as a whole. It's not all about optimizing these metrics and and trying to you know tweak this and tweak that, and then the the overall experience suffers. So, I think having good design leadership who's able to look at those things from uh, a higher vantage point and, and ensure that we're we're creating the right type of product as well, I think is is really important. Yeah, it's going to be really hard for an individual contributor on the ground to to debate and to, let's say, to win a debate as to what's more important, increasing the conversion rate by 0.5% or users mm-hmm. having a better time. Like people at the mm-hmm. top really just care about the number and they might not even know about the fact that in making that small change that increases the conversion rate actually decreases the quality of the product and the way people think about the product. So having really good design leadership at the top to frame design the right way and to take those battles. I, I find that to be very important and I find that to be an enabler for people on the ground, so to speak, uh, to, yep. do their, uh, to do their job. I also, another thing that I, I wanted to talk about is when <clears throat> someone from the top says, Hey, let's do this feature because I think it's going to work. I find it to be the responsibility of or the responsibility of the whole product team, but the responsibility of designers to say, why? What are we trying to achieve with this? Hey, let's add this new feature. Okay, but what What do you think, what needle do you think this is going to move? Or what, what impact do you think this is going to have on X or Y or Z? And sometimes when you ask those questions back, it's going to make the people coming up with the feature rethink and, and sometimes even say, yeah, you're right. It is, there's not really a point to this rather than wasting the product team's time for two months to ship a feature that will not really make any sort of impact. So asking questions back, I find that to be a really powerful tool, asking the right questions, a really powerful tool to make sure that whatever the product team is working on 
is uh, valuable for the end product. And that probably is a shared responsibility with the PMs and generally with the product team, wider product team, but some teams don't have a product manager. So mm -hmm. then I find that responsibility of the designer to ask those questions. What, what do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's why we use things uh, like at Google, we have a framework, um, OKRs, you know, objectives and key results. And I think something like that just, it really helps the, the team uh, stay focused on, on building the right things and making sure they're the right priority. Because I mean, there could be some really great ideas that maybe someone has, um, but they just don't fit into the strategy for the year or for, you know, the, the future. So it's like, well, that's great, but it's, it's not really something that uh, we want to prioritize right now. Like what we're really interested in is these three or four objectives, right? That's what's really important to uh, the team and for the company over the next six or 12 months. Um, so anything outside of that, we can park, but we're not going to get to it. And I think, you know, so we have objectives, which obviously like these are the kind of the, the big themes that the, the, the team wants to go after. And then they're broken down by the key results, which are what are the smaller, more actionable things that, that we can measure that make sure that we're kind of heading uh, towards those objectives. So yeah, I think that it's a really powerful tool, not just for PMs, but for, for designers as well, just to make sure we're always working on the right thing. Um, and again, like they can change as well. It's not like, yep, you kind of set your plan for, for 12, 18 months in the future. You kind of have to plan to the best of your ability, but then you kind of make course corrections every you know, six months or something like that to make sure like, yes, are they still the objectives that the team's going after or has something changed in the product or in the world that's making us rethink what these objectives are? And then now we can, we can reprioritize things. Um, you know, that happened pretty recently on the user generated content team that I'm working on. We had a roadmap, we had a plan, all these things we thought we we're going to do. And then, you know, COVID came up and it very quickly uh, through a huge spanner in the works and, and different things became very immediate priorities. So we had to be able to to park our older objectives and then just reprioritize and, and pivot the whole team to solving a whole new set of problems that were really important and relevant during the worst time of the pandemic. And to your point earlier about transparency and design transparency in organizations. So you have your team has reached these KPIs, reached these goals, has done a couple of tests over the course of I know, two, three, four months, has reached a specific goal. How do you then take that knowledge of, hey, here's what we've done and share that with the rest of the organization. How do we talk about design with the wider organization to frame it as the really powerful business function that it is? Like we do a lot of that. We talk, you know, amongst the UX teams around, okay, like, you know, these are the, the different uh, projects we've been working on. This is the impact we've been having. These are the, the challenges and the problems that we're looking at this year. Uh, but I think when we kind of talk about problems and, and solutions at the kind of um, broader cross-functional team level. It's usually like a, a more complete story, right? We, we talk about design and, you know, product management and engineering. It's kind of like a, a, a holistic uh, approach to something. It's very rarely like, this is what designs come up with. Look at the impact design has made and look at like how fantastic design is. It's more like um, this has been the process. These are all the kind of the problems, the opportunities. This is what research has contributed. This is the different explorations design came up with. These are the engineering experiments. This is the kind of the, the result that we've been able to achieve. So I think being able to weave that design story into the rest of the, the product uh, experience is, is super important just to show that it's not this kind of standalone thing that delivers its own set of results. It's like contributes to the overall success of the team. I think that's even more important to do in less mature design organization or less design mature organizations, because Google is very mature. It, it, Facebook is very mature in 
in in terms of that even atlassian mm-hmm. i know it is so but but i assume when you join an organization you're maybe the first designer or the first couple you have to do a lot of that groundwork yourself. There's no design leadership in place per se. There's no design culture there. Oftentimes design is not even brought in until the last moment to kind of just polish whatever has been done by the engineering team. So to Mm -hmm. get from that to a design driven or product driven culture where design is brought in much earlier and has a much bigger impact for, first of all, that takes a lot of time. But second of all, it also takes a lot of effort And it it comes down to transparency and talking about design and the impact we're having as designers until people at that level start to understand, oh, okay, now I get it. Design is not just a function of making our product look better, but Mm -hmm. it's a function of moving all all these metrics and it can really help the business uh, grow more so than, um, than we thought. Yeah. And I think, you know, from that kind of perspective, I think it's just all about starting small, right? Demonstrating impact and value at, at a really small scale. Like I mentioned before, you know, like jumping in on a hackathon or working with an engineer on, on a feature that they're doing and just kind of showing them how you can make their job easier, how you can make the product better. Uh, and then being able to kind of tell that more complete story where it's like, hey, look, you know, like we worked on this together. Look how great this has been. Look at the results that we've been getting here. Um, and then kind of, you know, building that trust, getting the ball rolling, getting people kind of to, to understand through, you know, small wins across the board that like, oh, like design can add this value. here. I didn't know that they could get involved at this point. I, you know, like kind of educating them about um, how you can add value to the process and where you should be engaged and how you can work together to really build better products. And less about kind of coming in, I guess, and, and demanding that seat at the table right from the beginning, right? And, yeah. you know, oh, we want to set the product vision and the strategy. It's like, well, you, you kind of have to earn that, right? It's um, it, it's hard for them to just give you the keys to the castle and be like, yep, go ahead and, and define our, our vision for the next five years without having established that trust and getting that respect on the team. And that takes time. It's not something it you're going to do straight away. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's that's a key point that maybe getting ignored or not discussed enough when designers are working for some of these smaller companies and they're asking, well, why am I not really allowed to make this impact that I want to make? Why am I not brought in early? Why all these questions? Well, of course you're not, you're a new function in this company. You've got to prove that, that your skill set as a person, but also what you can do as a, you know, as, as a design function deserves that seat at the table. It's not something Mm -hmm. that's just being given for free. So I, I find those points to be really important. It's something you've got to work on over time. And I think that if you're not willing to put in that groundwork, then you maybe shouldn't go and take a role as the first designer in a company or, or, or uh, because that might not be for you. You might work better in a company where design is already established and you can just come in and deliver. Um, you mm-hmm. can come in and you, you, you already, that framework has been set and you, you are allowed to just do the work that you want to do. So <clears throat> off the back of that, off the back of talking where people fit best and, and what type of role, you've been around for a, a, a very long time. And my assumption is that at this point, you could easily choose to go and, and manage a team, maybe even be a head of design somewhere. But you've chosen to stay more or less as an individual contributor, obviously with a few other responsibilities on the side. But 20 years in and you're still pushing pixels and some people choose at that point to go into management, manage people. Mm -hmm. How have you made that decision of staying as an individual contributor? And aren't you tempted to, to make that lateral move into management? 
Yeah, it's um, it's a good question. It's something I've had to think about over the years, right? I think like, especially as some of these bigger tech companies, they they have these parallel tracks, right? Once you get to a certain level, the the job ladder branches and you can go down the, the management track or you can go down the IC or individual contributor track. And it's definitely something I've, I've consciously made that decision about wanting to stay on, on that IC track because I, I really just love the craft of design and, and I love being involved in the execution and working with other designers and, and creating, you know, amazing products. That's something I, I really, really enjoy. And I, I think as well, like design leadership and design management are two different things. I think it's one thing to, to manage the team and be responsible for, you know, the whole uh, people side of things. I mean, it's not something I, I will never do. It's just something I'm, I'm not doing right now. Uh, I see my role now on, on the team more as like design leadership, right? I, I kind of really helped to kind of shape the strategy and, and think about craft and, and make sure that there's like standards and help mentor other designers on the team. So I think even though, yeah, I'm still kind of on the tools most days, um, it's not what my job is only about. It's, it's also about kind of just uh, helping other designers get to that next level and, and ensuring like a really, you know, consistent and high quality experience on the team. Um, at some point that might change, you know, um, I think, you know, I think that definitely more, you know, leadership opportunities start to open up once you get to that, um, if you cross over to the management side. But at the moment, I'm just really, I'm really enjoying my role too much to kind of really think about making that switch. I, I think it's maybe something that will come in time, but for now I'm, I'm quite enjoying myself. Yeah, and I think it's so important what you just said there. It is, you are really enjoying still doing the work of a contributor. And I've read just, I think, a couple of days ago. It's funny we're talking about this now. I've read some a tweet that said that moving into management, so you're a senior designer and, and you move into management, is not a promotion. It's a lateral move. And I think for many years, we've thought of it as, oh, now I move into management, therefore it's a promotion. And I guess in some other industries it is, but in design, mm -hmm. it, it it's not. Because if, if what you're really good at, which is doing design, gets taken away from you for other responsibilities, managing people, mm -hmm. you know, maybe a bit of design ops, whatever it may be in the company, it, it surely is a lateral move. It's not a promotion. And it's a mm -hmm. whole set of skills that is required for that. And, and that... I think it was a, a Twitter thread actually. And further down the thread, someone said, the way you know whether you want to move into management or not is to think about it like this. If you enjoy pushing pixels all day and being in Figma all day, you should stay as an individual contributor. If you enjoy sitting in meetings all day, you should move into management. And I know it's a bit fuzzy and it's not really <laughs> that clear cut, but that's kind of the idea, isn't it? As soon as you move into management, you're going to let go of some of the design work, if not most of the design work, and you're mm -hmm. going to, think more of helping the team grow and then a bit more management type responsibilities. Yeah, for sure. And um, I think companies like, like Google, you know, there's a really clearly defined uh, job ladder as well, right? So as you kind of move up the levels, uh, whether it's in the management track or the IC track, you, you can kind of understand, okay, well, what's expected of me at this level and, and what are the things that I need to start doing? And as you move even higher up the IC track, it, it becomes less about just this small individual piece of the product that you're working on. And it's more about the horizontal impact you can have as, a, as an IC, right? So how can you connect the dots with different projects that are happening across the, the organization? How can you facilitate collaboration between the different teams? How can you scale the impact of your own work beyond just the, the, the feature or the, the, the scope that you, you sit within? Making those relationships, um, being able to see those connections and and helping the team to, to yeah, really just 
expand beyond their, their current scope this starts to become more important yeah and that's where parallel tracks become really handy they're quite a recent thing where for when you're a senior designer the only way to go in some companies is to actually go into management and mm -hmm. let go of some of that individual contributor work while some companies having that parallel track where you can still grow but mm -hmm. not necessarily go into management so whether you become a lead or a principal or, or whatever the track yep. is called but I, I find that to be a really good evolution of the well of the design ladder if you will so talking about design ladders and teams and building teams and all of that i know you've done a lot of hiring at all of these companies a lot of interviews and mm -hmm. i like to talk about that a little because it is still it's something we talk about a lot in the industry but it's something people still struggle with whether that's portfolios whether that's how to put your best foot forward in interviews whether that's what questions do you need to ask in an interview all of that so i think we should tackle a bit of uh, a bit the, the topic of hiring so let's start pretty simple let's start with portfolios because everyone loves that and there, there can be some very practical tips from here so what stands out for you when you look at a portfolio yeah, I think um, it's interesting because I think, again, you have to kind of go back to goals and objectives, right? So like, what is a portfolio for? And I think a lot of designers kind of fall into a trap where they think that the portfolio basically has to do too much, right? It has to kind of tell the story of who they are as a designer and what their journey has been. And then we have to have these huge thousand word uh, case studies in there with the whole design process outlined. It's kind of too much, uh, I, I think, for, for what the portfolio is for. The portfolio is really a tool to help you get to that next step, which is the, the interview. Um, so I think being clear around like, you know, okay, like what is this for? This is for a hiring manager or for a recruiter, someone that has, they have a lot of different portfolios to review. There's that they, um, they don't have time to read these huge case studies, right? And it's not the, um, it's not really what it's for. Like you want to kind of show just enough that people are interested in the, in the work that you've done and they can kind of say, okay, I want to learn more, right? And then when you go into the presentation round, that's where you have the opportunity to go really into the details, talk about your process, talk about all the different iterations and the things that you tried, um, and maybe not trying to document that uh, on a website and, and expect people to read four or five case studies to, to get you in the door to talk about the same stuff again. Um, yeah, I see that quite a lot. I think there's also a, a pressure that comes from the industry that says you have to show the process of your work. So then when you sit there and you think, well, that means that I have to show the whole process. And yeah. um, as, as you say, that might not necessarily be, I've always said that the job of a portfolio is to get you the interview, not to get you the job. You get exactly. the job at the interview. Exactly. So you've got to think of that. And you, you also made another good point there, which is you have to think of who is the audience for this portfolio. Mm -hmm. Well, it's someone who has maybe 15, 20 seconds for each portfolio. That's it. They, they, unless you catch their attention, they're not going to spend any more than that. So you've got to think, well, how can I catch a hiring manager's attention in 15 to 20 seconds? And the way I like to recommend, if possible, it also depends on the work you're doing, obviously, but I like to start portfolio study cases with achievements. I have moved this needle in the company. I've saved this company X amount of money over for, with this little project. I've, you know, increase the speed of whatever it is, right? If if there is a metric there linked to your project, start with that, because then I, as a hiring manager, might look at that and think, oh, that's actually the type of work we need done here. Let's see. And then you've you've caught me. That was the hook. You've caught me. Now I need to. Now I, I want to read a bit more, and that will pique my interest. Any other tips for that? 
Yeah, no, I think that's spot on. I think, you know, it's outcomes. It's really what matters, right? Like that's what the the design process is for. It's not about generating a bunch of sticky notes and sketches and all that kind of stuff. They're just tools that get you towards those outcomes. So I think that is something you see a lot as well. People just spend so much time and energy on the case studies outlining this really linear process where they created personas and then they created a user journey and they did this and they did like a workshop and it's all great. Um, but it's kind of almost table stakes at this point. It's like, yet yeah, we kind of expect that you have a design process. We don't need to go into the, the the granular detail of that maybe at this point. Maybe that's something you can go into in, in the um, interview. But in the portfolio, yeah, like just talk about the the things that are really important. Like what are the outcomes that you drove with this design? Um, what are some of the um, different explorations that you took to get there? What are some key insights that maybe came out of user research study, which helped inform your final design? Things like that. You don't have to tell the whole story on the website. It's more just like, okay, how can you kind of grab my attention, maybe with something like metrics or outcomes? How can you kind of highlight the work that you did, clearly showing the, the visuals and, and the actual final designs? And then once you get to that next stage, that's where you can break the story down a little bit and, and get more into those details. So, okay, you've done that. You get to an interview now, mm -hmm. and the interview is is structured like this. First of all, you've got some time to... Talk about your work a bit more in detail. So let's talk about, you know, how you can put your best foot forward there. And the second part of the interview is you might have to do a whiteboarding challenge or some sort of challenge together with the team that you're going to work on. So mm -hmm. how are you going to put your best foot forward there? So let's talk about the first one. How do you talk about your work? You have 30 minutes or whatever it is you have. Yeah, I think, um, again, it's like, Think about the, the context that you're going to be in. You're going to be presenting to probably a group of people. You're either going to be sharing your screen over like a, a video chat or you're going to be there in person. Um, so make sure you have the right tools for that job, right? So like create a presentation uh, that is going to be you know, formatted for that, that right um, context. I see a lot of designers that will have their website, which they have shared with the recruiter to get to the interview. And then at the interview, they might just open up that same website and just kind of like go scrolling through the same portfolio, the same case studies again. Um, you got to think about the, the context and the medium that you're in, right? So um, really clean, simple slides, you know, with, with large images, not full of text. It's a presentation. You're there to add that context. You don't need to kind of have every piece of um, information on the screen. We want to hear from you, right? We want to like hear how you can talk about your work what your communication skills are like, how you've described the different decisions that you've made. So I think making sure you have that story and that narrative of, of the, the case study down really tight before you get there really helps. So, I mean, it's not to say that you have to have, you know, a script that you read from, but I think, you know, like before you put the case study together, think about the, the story that you're trying to tell. What was the problem? How did you know that was a problem? What were the next steps that you took to try and solve that? And then, you know, making sure you also really highlight that the finished work as well again i think there's there's too much focus on on process i see in a lot of presentations which is interesting but i think again it's the outcomes that really matter it's like what did you actually build what did you ship what were the the, the did you meet your goals how did you meet them and some of the other stuff is not as as interesting i think but there seems to be a lot more emphasis placed on that Right. So that's the presentation part. How about the whiteboarding challenge or whatever challenge it may be working together with the team? Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think this is one you, you see a lot of people um, struggle with. I think it's, again, it's just that the nerves and, and um, the anxiety of having to like design in, in public, right? I think, you know, people 
um, seem to stress out about that quite a bit. And I mean, it is daunting, you know, you kind of come into a company with, you know, you know maybe you're really excited about joining and you struggle with thoughts of like, am I good enough? Or I really don't want to mess this up. So it's a really stressful situation to be in. And I think you just need to kind of make sure that you can just try and calm yourself down a little bit first and just really think about the problem that the, the, the interviewer is asking you to solve. Right. So it's not supposed to be like a, a trick where it's like, oh, let's see how how hard we can make this for you, and we want you to fail and, and struggle. It, it it's really just to get an idea about like how do you break a problem down, how do you approach it. It's not about the final solution, right? It's not about like, oh, did you solve this problem in thirty minutes? It's more about how did you kind of a- approach the problem? What were the questions that you asked? How quickly did you get to a solution? And then just kind of like laser focus on that. Did you go really broad and you explored a bunch of different ideas at the beginning? collaboration as well like did you just basically put your blinkers on and just uh, attack the problem yourself or are you trying to involve the other person in the room with you as well whether that's by asking the questions or inviting their their feedback along the way it's it's supposed to be like a collaborative um exercise it's not just like a a critique of your final solution and you said something there that i want to highlight you said or or i'm going to build upon it is nobody in these challenges is there nobody wants to see you fail these challenges are there to see you succeed. These people want to see you succeed so they can hire you so you could come and do some great work. So it's not a, a trick that nobody's trying to trick you into. And if they are, I don't know, I, I probably shouldn't say what I want to say, but uh, technically nobody or, or ideally nobody's trying to trick you into failing. They just want to see how you would approach a problem provided you would join the company. Yeah. And, and it's usually only just like one dimension of that interview as well, right? There's obviously the presentation. There might be some other one-on-one interviews as well, where the, the whiteboard exercise is, is just one dimension. So, you know, yeah. maybe you do really poorly on that, but you absolutely knock it out of the park on the other ones. And then it's just like a, a conversation at the end to think about, okay, well, like maybe this person just had a bad day or maybe something happened here, but, you know, they were actually really strong in this other area. Or maybe the team is looking for someone, you know, like maybe the, the, um, the skills that you demonstrate in the whiteboarding exercise aren't really what they're looking for. Maybe they're looking for someone that's really strong in visual design or the execution yeah. side of things. So that's okay. Maybe they can um, uh, overlook that. And it's, so it's not like if you fail that one round, that's it for you. I think it's just about just keeping calm and, and trying to do the best you can. Interviewing is a two-way street though. So, okay. That's, that's on one side. That's on the side of the company. How about on the side of you as someone who tries to get hired? What are the questions you're asking? What are the things you're looking for to make sure this is the type of company you actually want to work for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think really just trying to identify areas that you're interested in. I think my whole career, it's always been about following my own interests, whether that's, you know, like wanting to work in mobile, wanting to work in consumer products, things like that. So uh, whenever I've kind of made moves, I guess, in the past, it's always been kind of like looking at, you know, the company and trying to determine like, is this the kind of work that I want to be doing? Does this align with my interests? Like, it doesn't have to be like the the particular um uh, sphere itself. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I really want to work on a, um, uh, like a football app or something, right? Because I'm interested in football. It's more just around like, um, is the kind of work that I'll be doing at this company, the kind of work that I want to build my career on? Because the work that you do is the, the kind of more of the kind of work that you're going to get in the future. So being really thoughtful about, um, that, that type of work that you'll be doing, I think is important. And also just thinking about the the people as well, because I mean, that's going to be a really core part of, of what your experience is going to be like. So if you can do any kind of research around, well, who are the other people on this team, whether that's on like LinkedIn, you're just trying to have a bit of a poke around and see like, well, 
one of the designers are on the team who else from product management or, or whatever else like just trying to get a bit of an understanding about like who the people that you'll be working with are and if um, they're the type of people that you'd be excited to come to work every day and build things together with one of the questions that i like to ask is how will i be measured in the first 90 days 180 days six months what will mm -hmm. i be measured on and that can tell you a lot about what you're going to come into and how also how mature the organization is because mm -hmm. if someone says well in the first month we expect you to deliver this and deliver that that back to the conversation that we had earlier it might not be uh, you might not have time to do all of that relationship building and stepping back and taking it slowly so you and, and that's fine for some people but maybe some people prefer to do it so i think asking questions is also important when you are getting interviewed because it can give you more details about the role you're actually going to come into. Yeah. And not even just in the interview, it's like also after you've been hired, right? Like when you, when you first join the company, having that conversation with your manager around what does success look like for this role? Like, you know, what are your expectations to be in the first 20, 40, 60 days, things like that, right? Just so you know, do I have that time to, to be able to kind of sit back and, and really understand, or is, am I expected to kind of hit the ground running and, and start shipping things right away? One question that I wanted to ask on the topic of portfolios, which I know we've passed by already, but uh, but I'm going to take it back a little. Uh, sometimes I say, don't show necessarily your best work, but show the work you want to do more of. Because when someone, I mean, obviously there has to be a balance there and everything, there's, there's some nuance to everything. But the idea is the more work you show that you want to do more of, the more likely you are to get more work like that because someone is going to look at your portfolio and as I said earlier, will say, oh, Dean has done five projects similar to tackling similar challenges that we're struggling with at the moment rather than this person has done five projects in all, all in different areas and we can't really put our finger on where he is really shining. What do you think about that? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think uh, it's probably harder at the beginning of your career where you don't have like a, a broad range of case studies or, or projects that you can draw upon. So um, I know like when I first started, right, it was like, you know, I was working in print design. So it was very hard to then create a portfolio of, of, of web design projects to get that first web design role. So it is definitely a challenge. I think as you kind of get further along in your career, you, you can maybe cherry pick or you can like uh, tailor your case studies to, to that, that new role that there's um, maybe different aspects you can kind of pull out and, and really highlight to be kind of, even though like the projects might be totally different, you can be like, oh, well, you know, I, I did this task or, or we had this challenge, which is analogous to what's happening over here. Um, so it definitely gets easier as you, as you build up that corpus of work, but earlier on it can be a challenge. So I think that's why you see people doing a lot of just self-initiated projects or they have like a side project, which is more um, tailored to their passions or, or around the type of work that they want to do. And I think that's that's always great to see as well. You don't want to just show that. I think it's, you know, if you've got a point, unless you're straight out of school and you don't have um, any kind of real work, you, you really want to have a mix of like, okay, like this is work that I have done, which can demonstrate, you know, my skill as a designer. I was working within these constraints. We, we had this real world income uh, outcomes, but maybe this is also what I'm capable as well, uh, capable of as well. It's good to have a balance. So talking about people at the beginning of their careers, what has someone that you've had in an interview impressed you with? other than their work, right? In the beginning, the work won't necessarily be what's going to impress you more. It might be some soft skills. It might be anything on that side. So any experience there with with what, what's really impressed you uh, with someone who's starting out? 
Yeah, I think just being able to to really talk about their work in a really uh, complete way. I think you see with a lot of more junior designers, they focus more on the execution and the craft and it's, I did this thing. Um, but being able to kind of like zoom out a little bit and, and talk again about why was this important to the company? What was the problem that you were trying to solve? Um, what impact did you have maybe beyond just the scope of the project, right? It was like this feature, but I also had to work within the broader design system or we created these new components, which we then used in this other part of the, the product. So being able to really look at your work from a more zoomed out perspective and, and think about all the different things that it's impacted beyond just the, the pixels. Dean, we're at the one hour mark, so we'll go straight to the end of podcast questions. First one is, what is one soft skill that you wish more designers would possess? Um, yeah, I think just kind of back to what we were just talking about around like communication and being able to talk about their designs, both in verbal communication and, and written communication. I think you see a lot of designers, they might be really great, like talking about their work to other designers, right? They might be in a design critique and they can talk about the decisions they've made. And, you know, they don't have to really talk too much about the, the business context or anything like that. It's more just around like, oh, let's like talk about the, the, the pixels, but then they might really struggle when they have to then try and present that work to a leadership team or to another business function that isn't design. And so they maybe try and talk about it in the same way, but it's just not really resonating or it's kind of missing the point. So being able to reframe your communication to that specific audience and, and with the outcome that you have in mind, like, are you trying to convince people that this is the right solution and they should kind of green light it for engineering to build? Or are you sharing it with other designers to debate whether you should go with this direction or that direction? Being able to be effective in those different situations, I think is, is super important. And what's one piece of advice that has changed your career for the better? Um, yeah, that's a tricky one. I was thinking about this earlier and I don't know if there's like one piece of advice where I'm like, that's really stuck with me. And I'm like, yep, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot from that. I think, uh, throughout my career, there's just been different people and styles of working. I think that I've, I've always just tried to, to, to learn from whether that's someone that, you know, is really great at, at giving a presentation or something, right? So thinking about what made it great, like, how can I break that down and, and learn from them? Maybe I can talk to them uh, before I give my next presentation and run uh, through what I put together and, and get their advice. Uh, or maybe there's someone that's really great on the execution side of things. Like how can I break down, you know, like the different decisions that they've made and, and really learn from them. So yeah, it's less about advice and more just kind of just really having a, a, a curiosity and like a growth mindset in, in any role that you're in and trying to learn from all the people around you, I think is, has really served me well. Awesome. Dean, where can people find out more about you, get in touch with you, any of that? Yeah, you can find me uh, on Twitter, at uh, Dean Hudson. I pretty much am that same username on, on all the different socials, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, probably the best place to reach out to me. Cool. We'll make it easy for people to find you. Dean, <clears throat> thank you very much for uh, being part of the Design Miss Business journey. It's been a really awesome conversation. The time has just flown by and uh, I, I hope people have learned something from this. So thanks a lot for uh, being part of this. No, thanks for having me. Enjoyed our chat today. Thanks, Christian. Cheers. That's a wrap for today. I hope you found this episode useful and that you've learned something that you're ready to implement at work tomorrow. If you've enjoyed this, as always, it would mean the world to me if you'd share it with your community, if you'd leave a review, and of course, if you'd remember to tune in for the next one. Peace.